For over two decades, our charge at Calvary has been to build a church without walls. The church is not a building. It's not an address. It's the people. For 20 years, we've been building people, people who love Jesus, love each other, and love our neighbors locally and globally. And we've seen God at work, giving hope to kids in Myanmar, raising up leaders in Central PA, loving our neighbors, and and making a difference on campuses throughout our region. In the last 20 years, we've gone from impacting one city to four. We've helped to launch three different churches. And along the way, we've given millions of dollars to serve those in the margins of life here and around the world. So what's next? What's next is our 2030 vision. In 2017, we began a process of discovering God's vision for our next chapter, and we began to dream. We began to dream of a great movement of prayer that would see every person in our region regularly prayed for by name. We began to dream of restoring marriages, nurturing families, and seeing 1,000 children and students make a decision to follow Jesus. We began to dream of sending thousands of front yard missionaries to be Jesus on every campus, every workplace, and every neighborhood in Central PA. We began to dream of being a catalyst for revival at Penn State and every school in our region. Ultimately, those dreams led to our 2030 vision. It is our vision to be part of a movement, to see the number of Jesus apprentices in Central PA double by 2030. In the process, catalyzing an epic release of leaders. So what's next? What's next is a step of faith into a journey of uncertainty, where nothing will be more important than the gracious hand of God upon us, blessing us so we can bless others. What's next? What's next is the Christ call to be the church, an opportunity to experience the soul-stretching joy of being part of a team engaged in a mission to give living proof of a loving God to the 340,000 people in Central PA with no church connection, especially in the next generation. What's next? What's next is an opportunity to be a pioneering church, seeking to innovate the shape of the next church of Christ's future, a church that will reach the generations to come. How will we get to what's next? Together. For the next seven years, we'll pray like never before. Together. For the next seven years, we'll love the next generation like never before. And whatever is next, we'll get there by his hand together. So what's the next step? In our next initiative, we have three goals. Number one is we will prioritize the next generation. We will passionately pursue the good of the next generation, helping them love Jesus and lead the church into all God has for us in the decades to come. Number two, we will bless every neighbor in our communities. We will pray like crazy and grow in generosity. We will step in faith and live in God's overflow. We will share Jesus with our hashtag. Number three, we will prepare in faith for the fulfillment of the 2030 vision. We will begin to pay off debt, design structures, gather resources, and start gatherings that will prepare us for revival and for a doubling of Christ's followers in Central PA. Over 65 years ago, 18 people gathered for Calvary's very first worship service in a dance hall called Woodman Hall. Four years later, 15 people signed on as charter members. Not a huge start. And it wasn't easy. But over the course of the years, God has blessed. And in 2018, God led us to our 2030 vision. And we were on a roll. Eight worship services in five different locations. We had 2,400 people at our Christmas Eve services in 2019. And then COVID hit. 
And if you look at the numbers, it seems like we're further from our vision now than when we started. But over and over again the last few years, I've had this simple sense of the whisper of God saying, Dan, don't settle. Ask me for more. And I'm asking you to do that with me. Ask him for more. That's what's next. I'm inviting you to join me in asking God for more. In fact, would you just join me right now in asking him for more by praying the overflow prayer together? It may be familiar to many of you. The words will be on the screen. Let's just pray together. Father God, you are so generous. Your blessings are without measure and your love is without limit. Every spiritual blessing you've made available Even when I didn't deserve it, even when I tried to grip what I've got in selfish fear, your grace whispers of a better way. Fathers, you pour out uncontainable blessings. Help us to be grateful. Jesus, as you overflow our hearts with grace, help us to be forgiving. Spirit, as we trust Jesus, may rivers of living water flow from our hearts. As you've given us a seat at your table, help us to be hospitable. As we grow to be more like Jesus, may we gain contentment. We long to be more generous. God, give us your heart. We choose to go all in, hands open, heart open, life open. God, help us to live a generous life. We're opening our hands to freely give away what you've given us. We're opening up our hearts to love as you have loved us. Father, saturate our souls with your spirit so that we can overflow with Jesus everywhere we go. You are the giver of every good gift. Your blessings overflow. As you have blessed us, help us to be a blessing. We place ourselves in your overflow. Fill us so full that we can't help but leak Jesus everywhere we go. Fill our families. Fill our neighborhoods with you. Fill us so full that we can't help but overflow with Jesus. God, would you give us more? In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Ask me for more. If we ask God for more, what is the more that we're asking for? See, I think at least one of the things that I'm asking for is more good days. Have you ever had a day that you wish would never end? Days that if you could live that one over, you would again and again? I'm not talking about days that you think will never end. I've had a few of those too. Oh my goodness, there's a plane trip back from Myanmar after I drank the water that you shouldn't drink and ate something that I probably shouldn't have eaten. It started by trying to throw up in a soda bottle. Little neck, right? It came on me so urgently. I didn't stop throwing up for about 12 hours. I did not think that day would ever end. I'm not talking about those days. Have you ever had a day that you hoped would never end? Days you could live over, if you could live over, one over, you'd live that day over. I could tell you about some days that Lynn and I have spent together, the birth of our kids, a little cottage on the beach in Hana, long, deep talks, some days that rank right up there as some of our best ever. Or I could talk about the trips I took with each of my kids on my sabbatical about a dozen years ago. I took, could talk about some days in ministry that rank at the top of my best day ever list, our first joint 
City Church worship service at Eisenhower with 11 other local congregations way back in 1997. There there was a day with Calvary leaders at Woodward. It was filled with prayer and hearing from God, and so much of what is now happening at Calvary flows from those days, good days. I I could tell you about spending Christmas Day with my family in Myanmar, and, and another day in Myanmar praying, preaching to Burmese missionaries. Some of them had recently seen a fellow missionary stoned to death. I shared with them the story of Stephen being persecuted and and stoned to death for Jesus. And then I watched these Christ followers surge to the front of the room to make an altar of stones and rededicate their lives to to the mission of seeing Myanmar fall in love with Jesus. Man, that was a great day. In almost 40 years of marriage and almost 30 years here at Calvary, we've, we've had some good days. And with all my heart, I believe that there are more to come. So I, I want to use one of David's great days and talk a bit about our good days to come, especially as it rates, relates to that first goal in the video and in your booklets that you've received, all about prioritizing the next generation. See, there was a day that David had that was so good that near the end of the day, he basically prayed and asked God for more, to let this day live on forever. It was a great day. David describes that moment that he wanted to last forever. It's in 1 Chronicles 29, verse 18. In the message translation, it says, Oh God, God of our fathers, Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, keep this generous spirit alive forever in these people always. Keep their hearts set firmly in you. In another translation, it reads, may every day be like this day. So just ask yourself, what defines our best days? You know, we probably all have a a variety of best days and unforgettable moments that we keep in the hard drives of our hearts. But, But I think the best of our best days usually have some mixture of encountering God, hanging out with friends, and investing our lives in a great cause. And if you think about it, isn't that what church is all about? Encountering God hanging out with friends, and investing your life in a great cause. Opening up our hands and our hearts and and blessing others as God blesses us. You know, if, if you think back, wouldn't we describe those best days as days when we were living in the overflow, right? But to get there, we need to open up all out. Remember, God has an unlimited capacity to give, but we have a limited capacity to receive. So if we want to live in the overflow, we need to get better at giving all out. All out for God, all out for my friends, all out for a great cause. And if David was here today, I think he would tell us that the secret, or at least one of the secrets to life, is that we have to commit. We have to go all out. So what does that look like, going all out? Well, the story of David's good day is found in 1 Chronicles chapters 28 and 29. So let me just set the context a little bit. David was the king of Israel. And if you know his story, he started out as a shepherd boy, which meant that he didn't have a lot of stuff, just a slingshot, a harp, and a few sheep. But now he's the king in a time of unprecedented prosperity. He's got lots of stuff And I just imagine that one day he's thinking about how he lives in this great house located in a gated community, probably called Shepherd's Hills, but all God has is a box. God's box was the Ark of the Covenant. It contained reminders of God, like the manna and the stone tablets, but also the presence of God. And they put this box in a tent that they called the tabernacle. And so one day, David's thinking about his house and God's box in a tent, and this dream starts to bubble up in his heart. I'll build God a place, a great place for God. But, but he took it to God, and God said no. 
God said, no, David, I, I don't want you to build me a place. I want your son to build my place. And so David calls his leaders together, and we pick up the story in First Chronicles chapter 28, verses 2 through 6, where it says this, David rose to his feet and said, my brothers and the, my people, it was my desire to build a temple where the ark of the Lord's covenant, God's footstool, could rest permanently. I made the necessary preparations for building it, but then God said to me, you must not build a temple to honor my name. Your son Solomon will build my temple and its courtyards. Now just let this moment soak in, right? Don't miss this. David has a dream. It's been in his heart for a while. He's been preparing. He's not just a a shepherd turned warrior. He's a worshiper, a songwriter with a heart after God, and he's all out. He wants to leave a legacy that matches his heart for God. He wants to build God a place. And God says no. David prays and says, God, I'd like to build you a house. And God says no. God says, no, David, I'll let Solomon build it, your son Solomon, but not you. No, God says no. Have you ever experienced anything like that? Like you you had a dream and you thought, man, this is such a good dream. Surely God is in it, or at least he's good with it. Maybe it was a dream of an achievement or a family dream or the dream of impact in your friends for Jesus, a legacy you wanted to leave, and everything seemed to be headed in the dream direction, but then it died. It was snuffed out. It it, it was lost. Now, Now listen to me. Young or old, you need to know this. Sometimes God will give us a dream and then let the dream die. Maybe for a moment, maybe forever. But the purpose is this. It's so we can discover that having him, having God is better than having a dream. See, ultimately, in every situation, God wants to know, do I have your heart? Sometimes God takes away the dream to see if he has our heart. And he's okay with that because having him is better than having his dream. Encountering the dream giver is far better than being given a dream. And David knew this. In fact, in Psalm 84, you can read this later. In Psalm 84, verse 10, he wrote, Better is one day in your courts than a thousand elsewhere. A thousand? Wow, I mean, think of one of those good days that you've had, one of your best days. Would you trade three years of your life for that day? I've had 40 years of marriage and ministry. That's about 14,500 days. God says, Dan, all those days that include most of your best days, they're worth about two weeks in my house. Now, I understand. Perhaps there's a bit of creative license here, but don't miss And don't miss the delight, the anticipation, and the passion of David. Don't miss what his heart knows when he writes, better is one day in your courts than a thousand elsewhere. Now, the courts of the Lord are all about the presence of God. And what God wants to know before he gives us the dream of being part of a great cause in his kingdom is, do I have your heart? He's asking this question all the time in every context that we ever find ourselves in, in the economy, in politics, in vocation, in every great goal that you have ever had. Can't you just hear the whisper of God, do I have your heart? If I take away the dream, if I take away what you want to see happen, do I do I still have your heart? See, going all out requires asking the question, who or what has my heart? If we give God our hearts, he'll give us a dream, but never let the dream have your heart. God tells David, no. Dan, what if I never let you see revival? 
What if you never get to be part of the great move of God that you've prayed for for decades? What if you lose everything that you think you worked for? Dan, am I enough for you? Do I have your heart? And I'll be honest, there was a time not all that long ago, pre-COVID basically, when the disappointment of being told no by God would have been too much. I would have said, fine, God, I quit. Or more likely, I would have said, no problem, God, I'll do it myself. I mean, I can't tell you how many times over the course of the years I've prayed, God, I don't want to be like Moses, leading your people to the very edge of the promised land and then being told I can't go in. But in the last few years, I've come to the point where I care less about the land of promise and more about the presence of God. Being called a friend of God has become more important to me than being called a great leader. You know, this church stuff, sometimes it gets so complicated. There's there's so many different opinions and different expectations mixed in with division and disappointment and, and woven through with metrics and strategies and resources. But but what if we are just to get back to Paul's simplicity of, I, I just want to know Christ. I want to live and love like Jesus. I, I want to be with Jesus. I, I want my neighbors to see Jesus in me. I want my neighbors and coworkers and classmates to know how much I love Jesus and how much Jesus loves them because at its heart, going all out is a hard issue. We will not. We won't go all out for God's cause if we don't go all in for God's heart. All on the table. I'm all in for your heart, God. See, God had David's heart, and so David chooses extraordinary generosity. David says, maybe I won't see the dream fulfilled, but I'm still going all out. I'm going to go all out for this cause. I'll do everything I can. I believe in this. I'll do everything I can to see this dream come true. So look at 1 Chronicles 29, verses 1 through 2. It says, then King David turned to the entire assembly. His kingdom is gathered. All the leaders of his kingdom are gathered. And he said, My son Solomon, whom God has clearly chosen as the next king of Israel, is still young and inexperienced. The work ahead of him is enormous, for the temple he will build is not for mere mortals. It is for the Lord God himself. So using every resource at my command, David says, I've gathered as much as I could. Every resource. Going all out. That's what David is saying. I'm going all out for the dream even if I don't live to see it. Listen, I believe some of the best days of our lives occur when we go all out for a great cause that's not about us or even for us. What is your great cause? What is your holy discontent? What what dream does God keep waking you up to in the middle of the night? Something broken that you could fix, someone in the margins that you could love, someone caught in an injustice that you can serve, someone who in spite of all their success, man, they're just so missing Jesus. What if the journey that gains overflowing life requires the giving of my life, sacrifice, surrender? I mean, isn't that the way of Christ? I believe that God has given us a dream here. It's not about building great buildings. There's nothing wrong with buildings, and we'll build them. But building buildings is a task. It's not our vision. Our vision is to build a church without walls that will be part of a movement to see the number of Christ followers in Central PA double by 2030. We want to build great people who love God and love their neighbors to life, one life at a time. Our vision is to build a community of people living a life so extraordinary 
where we live, work, and study, that, that it's like a light shining in the darkness, like, like Jesus is living in every neighborhood, studying in every classroom, getting hired at every workplace in central Pennsylvania. That's the house. That's the house we're building for God. I'll go all out for that. David has been lying awake at night thinking about ways to go all out for God. He has this incredible dream and it motivates a great sacrifice. Using every resource, David says. Some translations read, with all my abilities. In other words, David is asking the question, how can I maximize all my abilities to give to God? How can I max out in generosity? He's going a little bit beyond extraordinary generosity. Do you ever wrestle with that question? How can I max out in my giving? See, I think sometimes we're wrestling with a different question. How can I max out in my getting? Or how can I max out in my keeping? And and it's not just about our money. Make no mistake, it is about our money, but it's also about our time and forgiveness and hospitality and sharing Jesus. It's about loosening our grips on our families. It's about using the ways God has shaped our hearts, the, the abilities he's given us, and going beyond just a few hours a month or a few dollars a week to be part of God's vision for central Pennsylvania. David is maximizing his abilities to give, to go all out. And you're thinking, yeah, but but David had a lot, right? I mean, he was the king. But but look again at verse 3. He says, And now because of my devotion to this cause, to the temple of God, I'm giving all of my own private treasures of gold and silver to help in the construction. Because of my devotion, David says, I'm giving all of my private treasures. Now, the Hebrew word here for private treasure is sagula. The Segula was the king's personal treasure. In a sense, you can imagine this. In a sense, the king owned everything in the kingdom, but in a sense, he owned nothing. While he was king, he could use and direct everything, but lose the crown, no longer king, and none of it was his, except for the Segula. The Segula is your personal treasure. It was his security. Kind of like a retirement fund, a retirement and emergency fund all in one. In times of political hardship or personal disaster, if the people revolt, I still have my Segula. And, and David is giving, he's going for it. He's making the kind of all-out gift that when you first consider it, your heart just kind of jams up. What's your Segula? If God wants us to maximize our resources to love our neighbor, if God wants us to maximize our resources for the next generation, what what would that even look like? I mean, what could happen if the Church of Central PA got filled up with people maximizing their resources to love Jesus and, and love their neighbors and see a great move of God in our kids and grandkids and students and 20 something adults? Because here's the deal God is maximizing his resources for his dream. Do you you know what God's segula is? What what is God's segula? Here's what Peter, the Apostle Peter, says in the New Testament about God's segula. In in 1 Peter 2, verse 9, he, he says this, You are, I want you to hear these words to you. You are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own, God's own possession. Why? So that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. You are a chosen people, people of the light, chosen by God to be holy, a royal priesthood, his own possession. 
Now, I understand in our culture today to be someone's possession does not exactly give us goosebumps of wonder. <laughs> but the word translated here as possession is so rich. It, it's basically the same as the word segula. Yeah. Peter is saying that you are the special treasure of the king of heaven. You're treasured. You're not God's broken down car or his forgotten toys. You are his special treasure. Make no mistake, we weren't chosen because we were special. We're special because we're chosen. You are God's segula. Everything in the world is available to him, but you are his treasure. Oh my goodness, do you you know how much you matter to God? You're covered in his love. He sent his son to die for you so that you could be adopted into his family. Listen to me. His love is dripping off of you. You are covered in his love. Do you understand? God didn't choose you because you were all that. It's not about being dank goat or the OG. He didn't choose you because of your batting average, your IQ, EQ, or any other Q. Your bank account didn't get you in any more than the number of people who follow you on TikTok. And because those things never got you in, the lack of those things, the loss of those things will not keep you out or kick you out. He chose you because he loves you. And you're loved just because. There are no ifs or wins. Just because. See, God is not asking you to go all out because he wants something from you. He's, he's asking you to go all out because he has something for you. Going all out is just giving him space to work, space to bless, space to overflow all that he is upon you. Are you ready to go all out? Really right now, from one generation to the next, I'm asking you, are you ready? See, the... The next gen has the next choice. Because in this moment, David is not just challenging his leaders. He he challenged his son. He's challenging the next generation. He's challenging the generations to come from generation to generation. You, you got to go back to see it. But back in, in 1 Chronicles chapter 28, verses 8 through 10, he says, Solomon, my son, Learn to know the God of your ancestors intimately. Worship him and and serve him with your whole heart and a willing mind. For the Lord sees every heart and knows every plan and thought. If you seek him, you'll find him. If you forsake him, he'll reject you forever. So take this seriously. The Lord has chosen you to build a temple as his sanctuary. Be strong and do the work. Do you, do you see what David is doing? He's, he's passing on the dream. He's passing on the vision. He's passing on the cause of the kingdom of God. Listen to me. From one generation to the next, David gives this charge. Sons and daughters of the generations to come, learn to and, and, and know intimately the God of those who came before you. Worship him and, and serve him. Love him with all your heart and mind. He, he knows you better than you know yourself. Every thought, every plan, every heart. And if you seek him, listen to me, if you seek him, you will find him. The Lord has chosen you. Be strong and do the work. See, David is is passing this on to the next chapter in God's story. And in one sense, that's all of us. We're, We're all part of the transition from one generation to the next. In fact, man, the last 40 plus months have been one of the most significant times of transition that I've ever been part of. We are turning the page to a next chapter in God's story. 
But let me talk specifically to those of you in the generations to come. Gen Z, the alpha generation, (laughs) millennials, you can even listen in. From birth to almost 30, you are the next generations. And I'm, I'm telling you, if you seek him, you will find him. Because the Lord has chosen you. So be strong and do the work. We're entering a a new chapter. Seek God with all your heart. He's chosen you. Be strong and do the work. I've always had a sense of urgency. I I consider it a a leadership gift. Urgency is the outworking of passion. So so Gen Z, next generations. You know, many of you, you're, you're trying to discover God's dream for your life. You're trying to figure out your passion. And I just had the sense that God wants me to tell you, you are not the church of tomorrow. You're not the leaders of the future. You're not the dreams that are yet to be. You are the church of today. You're the leaders of this moment. You're the dreams that God is releasing now. And if you will seek God with all your heart, you'll find him. He's chosen you for a great work, so be strong and do the work. Be strong and do it. Be the ones that turn the heart of your generation back to God. Be the ones who feed kids around the world and and restore people's hope in the goodness and power and majesty and beauty and humility and sovereignty of Christ. Be the ones who love each other and love your neighbors and and love your enemies. Be the ones who serve cities and love those who despise you. Be the ones who become so like Jesus that no matter where you go, there he is. There are moments in time that the Bible calls them kairos moments. Moments in time that are spiritually historic. And, and you know, in the moment, it doesn't always seem historic, but the moments gather and the days build upon each other. And then it seems like all of a sudden something happens. I believe globally and, and also locally that we're in one of those moments, days leading to a season. I believe that history will record these days, this generation, your generation, this chapter as a Kairos moment for the kingdom of God. And there's simply nothing more important I can say to you, nothing more important that I can pass on to you than this. Seek God with all your heart and he'll be found. He's chosen you for a great cause. Be strong and do the work. And so I'm, I'm challenging you, like, like David challenges his people, like David challenges his son in First Chronicles 29, verses 5 through 6, when he says, Now who is willing to consecrate himself today to the Lord? Here's how I would translate that today. He, Jesus, went all in for me. Will I go all out for him? You know, almost 30 years ago, Lynn and I rolled into State College with all our stuff in a U-Haul. It was a Friday. I remember it well. In fact, we drove into town on Friday the 13th. (laughs) The following weekend, May 22nd, was my first weekend as Calvary's pastor. That first weekend, I preached from the book of Jeremiah. And here's a quote from my message. I said, do you know what excites me about being a Christian? God, the almighty King of kings, creator of the universe, has a dream. He has a vision for us. He has plans for our congregation and the church of Central PA. I don't come to you today saying, I have a plan. I have a dream. Just follow me and everything's going to be great. I come saying, God has a plan. God has a dream. 30 years later, I still believe those words with all my heart. 
It's been 30 years filled with laughter and tears, good days and hard. It's been 30 years filled with God's stories of lives changed, neighbors loved, and and people coming to know Jesus. And I can't help but wonder what God will do in the next 30 years. And more than anything, just like we started, I'm just asking him for more. I want God to do more in us and and I want God to do more through us. It's, it's one thing to go hard after a great cause. It's, it's one thing to be part of a great community. But there is some, simply nothing like being part of a great community that goes after a great cause, led and empowered by their God. I love how David's day ends after asking the question, who is willing to consecrate themselves? It says, then the leaders of families and, and the officers of the tribes of Israel, the commanders of thousands and, and the commanders of hundreds and the officials all in charge of the king's work gave willingly. <laughs> you, you realize David was the king. <laughs> he, he could have said, now let me tell you who else is willing to give like this. And then pointed and said, you, right there, you're willing, and you, and you. But David asked. He doesn't tell. David asked because he knew that only when we give freely will we love deeply. Only when we give our treasures will our hearts follow. I mean, can you picture David in this moment? This is an exposed moment for him. What if he's the only one to give? But then one person stepped forward, and another, and another, and another. Because that kind of all-out living, all-out giving, it's contagious. And I think that's what caused David to say, Oh, God, let this day last forever. Today, when you came in, or if you're online, you'll see it online. But there's a book. And, and if you read through it, you'll begin to get a deeper sense of what we're seeking to do in the days to come, to gain traction towards our 2030 vision, to be a part of what God is doing In the weeks to come, we'll talk more about this. But for now, can I just encourage you to read prayerfully through the book and ask God for more? Let me pray. God, thank you so much for the overflow of life, of blessing that comes from you. God, thank you for those moments, those times where we do what you ask us to do and you open up the floodgates of heaven and pour out upon us blessings grace, Jesus, more Jesus than our lives can contain. And God, I pray that in the days to come, as we read, as we pray, as we ponder, as we ask you for more, that you would simply lead us in the process, that we would consecrate our lives to you, to your cause, to your move. We ask these things in the name of your son, Jesus, we pray. Amen.